everyone. Welcome back for the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Dunn. I'm the community lead, and I'm used to being a, a minority living in London, typically being the only American in a room. But today I'm feeling in a slightly different way I'm outnumbered. You know, Nick being the Aussie. We're also joined by a second Aussie today. And of course, I'm referencing Nick Meacham, our CEO at Sports Pro Media. But Nick, you know, I, I don't know if you're just you know, feeling a little homesick, but you've, you've brought on a second Australian to the podcast today. I think actually, if you counted the ratio, I think we've had more Aussies than any other nationality outside the UK. And that wasn't intentional, but it seems there's Aussies just sprinkled everywhere across the industry, or at least that's what I'll say anyway. I'm not, not doing it for bias purposes. No, but good to be joined by another Aussie uh, doing some cool things in our industry. Yeah. So today we're being joined by JP McCurley. He is the VP of marketing and sales for Todd. So JP, you know, pleasure to have you on board today. Like I said, uh, I think Nick's happy to have a familiar voice and, you know, we're really interested and we'll dive into it a little bit more to hear about some of the work you're doing at Todd. But do you just want to maybe give everyone a quick background sort of how you got to this particular point in your role so far? Oh, look, thanks. uh, And thanks for the introduction and lovely to be on the show, guys. Um, Thanks, Chris and Nick. Um, how did I end up here? Great question. Look, if you if you wanted to spin off an entire story about uh, the journey of JP into the Middle East, you can. Uh, but the long and the short of it is, um, you know, just prior to or just after the global financial crisis around 2008, uh, I was, like all Australians, planning on a working holiday makers tour into uh, the UK and markets took a turn. Uh, and so we decided that we would look at the next best option. At the time, I actually picked up a uh, call for a role in the Middle East for a company called QTEL, which was now the Aridu uh, operator based out of Qatar. And so 2009, I flew out onto a, a little place called Doha, which I knew very little about and, and met with a bunch of people here and thought it was pretty cool. Um, decided that it was a great launch pad to try and explore the world. And, you know, 12 years later, here I am, a you know migrant as opposed to visitor and uh you know started a family and established myself out in this part of the world jp that's an eerily similar story to mine although my job <laughs> offer was uh, a six pound an hour job at a portuguese bar around the corner from where i was living in london so not quite the same <laughs> uh, the same role but similar journey oh nine moving to london and now settled down over here with with family and so forth. So uh, yeah, parallels and and yeah, we were talking before we got on that actually we lived not far from each other back in Oz. So uh, small world to bring us together talking, Always yeah, is. and talking across from the UK and and the Middle East. Yeah, well, you know, mentioning the Middle East that comes quite prominently into this conversation and the work you're doing at Todd. And I think maybe just a basic question to get everybody started off who's listening to this. You know, our audience comes across the UK, Europe, uh, all over North America, some interesting pockets in South America and Asia. You know, maybe just paint the picture at a top line level. You know, what is Todd and, you know, who are some of the people you're you're associated with that maybe will ring some bells for people? Yeah, sure. So look, um, Todd's got two big questions that I often get asked is why Todd and and why not, you know, another brand name that is our parent and obviously well established. Uh, But let's start with the what, right? So Todd is a a video on demand platform. Um, It offers live linear coverage as well. So in essence, they're the two fundamental capabilities that we have. We are the distribution of the Bing in Media Group's entertainment catalogue, right? And so when you talk about Bing in Media Group, it's much larger than just Bing in Sports. It's also the Miramax holdings. It's also the uh, relationships to Sony Studios. We've got investments with Digiturk in Turkey, which means we've got 
lots and lots of assets in terms of entertainment collateral that we then distribute through a digital platform, which is Todd right now. So, you know, and I think that lends itself quite well to why Todd and why, why not, you know, a being branded or sub-branded entity. Um, and that is largely, uh, we carry more than just sports. Now, sports is clearly under the being media group. I think when we look globally, we probably carry the strongest bouquet of assets that any one operator in a territory might have, particularly in the MENA region. But even if I looked across the world, you know, there are very few players out there that have that extensive library that we have. But that doesn't mean that we don't have other stuff, right? And I think this is the critical bit, right? We carry quite a lot of other assets inside of our repertoire. And, you know, Todd was a, a step away from our core brand association with sport to recognise that we actually carry more. Um, I think the name itself, it was a, it's a bit of a story. My journey with Todd began probably 12 months ago when we first started talking in an interview stage, but I only joined about six months ago uh, when the company had already launched. So this was a bit of a, a question I think every new joiner in the business also asks. Um, but how do we end up with a name uh, as opposed to, you know, something like BN Plus or BN Max or BN something or other? Uh, and I think part of it is, you know, the story that I've just told you, but the other one is what does it stand for, right? And it's not part of our brand. so. The acronym for, for Todd is Television On Demand. It was the, you know, a conversation that happened in the upper echelons of the business. It was the candidate amongst many, um, but it's not the brand itself. We are purely Todd in many ways, like Stan is in Australia. Uh, that's the naming convention that we've picked up. So obviously you've only been with the company for six months from now, but I imagine the journey to get to that launch um was something that was in the works for a while. You've talked about the extensive library. Oh, yes. Yeah. So just talk us through um, what you what you can share about how it, it got to this point, why the idea and the concept was developed in the first place and how it got to launch. Yeah. So look, I think um, you need to sort of take an industry view for a minute and sort of take it right up to that strategic level. So content distribution at an aggregate level sort of falls into a couple of critical buckets. In the Middle East and in the MENA territories, you know, distribution is largely through satellite. Right? And that is because the infrastructure for other methods is not as commonly available, unlike Western markets where you've got typically quite a lot of infrastructure on broadband networks and therefore you go to your operator and pick up a you know, a broadband package that gives you a content access. In, in the Middle East, it's, it's literally been through satellite uh, to get down to homes. Now, you know, the world moves on from a technical standpoint and in this day and age, you've got data access on mobile networks that allows you to distribute digitally the same content that you use to digit, uh, distribute through a satellite. And so a new, completely new distribution model is born. And, you know, this, it, Todd is the culmination of years and years of strategic analysis to deliver a digital product into the MENA region. It gives us far greater access to the user base uh, across the MENA territories. It's a lower cost method for delivery. Obviously, you don't need to buy the infrastructure of a satellite dish and have a single endpoint. And so we, we get to merge the convenience that you have through digital as well as the quality of the product that we have on, on linear or through satellite. And I think in there lies a little bit of the challenge, right? Unlike a lot of purely on-demand based networks where you can set up a, well, I'm going to call it a hard drive, but it's you know a server somewhere in a network quite close to the end user, we need to take a feed from a very far away location move it all the way across the planet, ingest it, put it back into the cloud, and then send it through a mobile network onto a user's handset, right? But the upshot of that is, you know, and I always, this is an interesting space, but you get to have two-way communication. When you're in a digital landscape, it's not I send, you you receive, it's I send, you receive, I watch, 
Yeah, you can tell me what you then want to do, and all of the feature sets suddenly explode. So when you think about sport and sports engagement, um, there isn't a better way to watch than on a digital mechanism. If you want to pause, you can pause. If you want to rewind, you can rewind. If we wanted to add some stamps, allowing you to flip back and explore what had happened at any point in time, you know, we can do that. And so it's extensive the way that we can engage with the user, and it's very extensive the way a gate and you know a user can engage with us, right? And therefore, is, you know, the the sky is the limit on how you can innovate from this space into the way that you engage in sport. So, so what are then some of the in terms of there's a number of OTT platforms that exist in the world now, US leading the row, leading the way. There's a bunch in Australia, just not just sports specific, but also entertainment um, specific. Our breadth has quite a breadth of content and a library. Are you following a fairly traditional uh, model, I suppose, with sort of leveraging the library you guys do have access to a, a library and portfolio? Or is there any characteristics of what you're doing with, with the content and the perhaps the model that you're operating it with that might differ from, say, some of the others in the market? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably two or three different things that happen in that question, right? One is where we operate uh, and the other is about how we do it, right? So in terms of the how, um, like I just described, and this is one of our key USPs, and that is, you know, everyone can watch the game, right? Or, you know, turn on a various sets and you can engage with a particular sport. What you can't do is what we we avail through the, the like that two-way communication. And so we talk about that real-time tracking of events that happens during the game. And it's, it's really cool that you can, you know, be watching a, a game and then as you click on the screen, a little running bar will turn up and on it you have little watermarks for key events in the match. It might be you know, a yellow card, it could be a goal, it could be a save, it can be whatever we choose it to be. At the moment, you know, we're exploring what is the best and most engaging way to do that. But by clicking on it, you instantly go back to that moment in that match, right? And then, you know, you can watch that event. We've also put a little button back up there that says go back to live. So at any point throughout the course of that game, you can actually go back and review those those moments yourself. That is, you know, that is quite unique. You now that's something that happens in sport particularly, um, but the concept we're looking at is to roll it across into various sports because obviously the application is quite extensive. Uh, and that is a real game changer. The other thing that we've started to do, and this is, this is again quite cool, is the concept around statistics, right? So you can have player stats pulled up at any point in time and you then have a running sheet of what's going on in the match in terms of maybe meters run, kicks, passes, so on, uh, depending on the nature of the sport, each of the key dimensions that are related to that game are immediately available to the user. That's that's very different, right? So typically, you might see that in adjacent applications, but you wouldn't normally see it combined under a single umbrella uh, for an end user. On the entertainment space, I think it's a little bit more generic, right? So, you know, there is um, less to do in that space because it's not real time and you're not driving towards that kind of, um, did you see this moment and you know, press a button, flick it to your mates and see if they caught that session at the time. But one of the one of the things that we are looking at, and this is kind of in the next iterations, but say that's generation two of Todd, is that synchronization. We know that sports and, and and in fact entertainment is a social event. You don't typically charge home to watch it on your own. You charge out to your mate's place, or you know you're trying to share that experience and have a chat about it, uh, and you create a whole lot of communities as a consequence. And so you know we're very interested in becoming a part of those community conversations, but synchronizing how you're viewing it is something that we're looking into in the longer term as well, because obviously there's a little bit of 
you can have a little bit of latency differences because each point's di- delivered at a, at a different point in time, potentially. Just quickly on that point, um, are you doing that cross markets and cross countries then? Because I imagine with the rights can be quite quite tricky as to how where you can and can't offer that sort of opportunity. Uh, look, that, that feature is, yeah, look, it's a feature on a platform. So yes, we will offer it wherever we put the platform available. Um, in terms of the rights, it's wherever we have the rights to deliver that content. Yeah. So, you know, you take those two in, in parallel. At the moment, most of our rights are virtually all of MENA. We're across a large, large proportion of the MENA region. Um, but being media groups, a global player, right? So obviously, we, you know, we're building a platform here. The view and I think the vision of the business is that this becomes the launch test bed for a much, much bigger play at a global level. So you, you mentioned, you know, you're looking after that Middle East MENA area. Perhaps just to give people an idea of scale, could you give us an idea of what sports that actually covers in terms of what you're actually broadcasting, who some of those uh, big premier sports that you actually have? Uh, look, in terms of the tentpole categories we carry in the football, you know, we've got virtually all of the major footballs. So the UCL, the EPL, the Liga and Bundesliga, you know, the four clear large, large categories. Don't hold me to all of them because uh, there are many, many more. Um, at this stage, we also carry all of the ten- major tennis. So all of the tennis majors and the ATP is on platform. And, you know, the list goes on and on. I think we carry the um, Tour de France when it gets into the cycling. We've got the MotoGP coverage as well. Uh, and then uh, categorically, we do carry the IPL or have done in the past. And so we've, the, the major Indian cricket league is a, as a part of the mix that we've got here. It, it's a very extensive library and being media group has, you know, very much focused around its, its sports rights bouquet, as I said at the start. In terms of the coverage, in, in terms of people, so there's roughly 350 million people under the, under the MENA territories. It's a very large uh, population. Key markets, obviously, you've got the GCC, which we're all familiar with, but across North Africa, you've got some really major markets over there, particularly Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, you know, reasonably high population markets and, and big locations, and also very, very fanatical about football in particular. I'm curious, uh, you know, we see across here in the Western markets, and um, they're pretty similar in terms of the competitor landscape and, and who's involved and who's fighting it out, both at a linear level and a streaming level and, and whatnot. Um, the rights you talked about are, are, are widely considered, I guess, premium rights in a lot of markets, not just um, yeah. not just in the MENA region. I'm just curious, um, you know, how competitive, I suppose, is the space for for you in terms of who you're competing with for audiences and for time? Is it as competitive as, say, some of the more Western ones or is it uh, in a different state, I suppose? Yeah, it's an it's a interesting question and it's quite a challenging one for Todd, right? Because Todd has virtually two identities, right? We are an entertainment platform that carries sports or we're a sports platform that carries entertainment, depending on which segment you, you, know, you, you come from. Um, if I take a purely entertainment standpoint and we ignore the sports assets, you know, then I would say the MENA region is a very competitive landscape. There's a lot of major players, both, you know, the major internationals have all moved out here and have coverage. So, you know, you've got your Amazon Primes, you've got Disney Plus, you've got your Netflixes, uh, and then you've got some of the regional players as well. So you have your Shahid VIP, which is a subsidiary or um, a, the digital delivery platform for the NBC group. Uh, as well as Stars Play, which is kind of a Lionsgate distribution through in, into this territory. And, and then there's a, I'd say there's a plethora of other smaller players inside of the landscape. So that is a very, very competitive space. And, and when it gets in, into, you know, how do you compete in that category, um, obviously content is a critical part of that conversation. So, 
you know, we we strive to make sure that we've got a, you know, class-leading entertainment proposition that substantiates that product on its own. And we sell an entertainment standalone product, so a non-sports-based version of the service, so that, you know, audiences that are interested in our content, because we've got great exclusive content and originals on our platform that we can, you know, genuinely people are prepared to come in and subscribe to. So that gives you a price point down there. When it comes to the sports proposition, you know, it's a long way between us and the next nearest, right? There is a... There are a couple of regional players that have started to step into the sports bouquets, but in terms of the value that you get under a single subscription, you know, it is quite a long way away. So we don't have a, a clear regional competitor, I would, I would argue. Um, in some of the territories, you could suggest that um, maybe regional players that have got access to a local sport that we don't carry um, have a reasonable claim in those, in those markets, but it's quite bespoke. It's not, definitely not MENA-wide. Uh, which is, you know, throws a little bit of a question and challenge towards us around how you set your pricing and, and benchmarking. Um, which, you know, we, we've got we've got to recognise that we, you know, we are in a unique landscape. We offer a unique value proposition for a digital player. But if you go to adjacent distribution platforms, and there are some other ones. So clearly, your DTH delivery systems and your IPTV ones through your telco providers, they are more genuine competitors, right? Or at least similar benchmarks so you mentioned obviously we're going to jump into the monetization bit but subscription is the main access methodology is there an ad tier is there a free tier is that sort of there or is it just a straight up uh, price uh, for straight up subscription model at this point in time we're looking to explore some more um bespoke versions of that so you know we we are fully aware that um the lower socio-demographic is a very large market in the middle east and it's quite hard to monetize and get into that space and so we're looking into methods to do that but that's something we'll look at in 2023 and on. You know, there's a pretty long roadmap at this point in time in terms of building out, and, you know, preparing for a World Cup. So we've got to make sure that we're, we we address that first and then we move on to stage two later. You mentioned the the competitiveness from the entertainment side, and I'm going to jump in on a point Nick usually likes to, to bring up. You know, how important is sport for Todd in the sense of obviously if entertainment with all those other you know, platforms that you're competing with is a big deal. How much are you guys leveraging your sports package to sort of say, this is the reason why you should choose us as opposed to another platform? Um, look, we do clearly, and there's two reasons for that, right? So, you know, just talking strategy now, Todd launched around about January of this year, and we've got a, a massive event on the 20th of November this year that we really wanted to capitalize on. So if you look at the timeline, you've got approximately 11 months to establish a brand in the MENA region, right? And so I can tell you right now that more people are familiar with the FIFA World Cup than they are with Todd. So when it goes out to marketing the product and trying to establish our awareness, then clearly we are riding on the back of, you know, the sports awareness that you have in the territory and simply saying we will be the official broadcast uh, platform for the digital distribution platform for the FIFA World Cup 2022. So... You know, that is part of the rationale for why we, we lean quite heavily on our sports bouquet. In saying that, we actually do run quite a lot of targeted segmented um, campaigns to pick up on, on entertainment. And we have a surprisingly large proportion of our overall acquisitions coming in on our entertainment only version of the service. So I wouldn't say that it's um, we're fully lined or reliant on our sports properties, but definitely in terms of scale at the moment, it's sort of an 80-20 kind of conversation, right? 
I mean, we've had it a few times on the show, haven't we, Chris? Uh, where the, the the quote that we've had a few times comes from different places, but uh, David Gandler sort of led that with um, from the CEO of Fubo, Fubo TV, which is come for the sports and stay for the entertainment was kind of his line. Um, do you guys see that? Like in terms of you talked about that entertainment is driving a, a lot of the audience in itself, but do you see that if people are coming to the acquisition channel, I suppose, of the live sports moment, is that what you see is they're coming in that way and then staying for the entertainment and consuming everything on the platform, not just sport itself? Yeah, look, definitely it's um, uh, it's never a one-size-fits-all answer, right? So it is definitely a, a case of we do see huge spikes in acquisitions around key events. And, you know, the reason that live sports is so valuable is it drives that sense of urgency, right? It's a, a motivation to do something. I want to watch the game and, you know, I need to figure out how I buy it, right? So you get that customer, you drive, that's the hook. The ongoing engagement is, is, you know, in our entertainment space. And so there are multiple types of football fans. There are the fanatics that will buy your platform no matter what, and they watch 200 types of sport and they're just there, live it, breathe it, and love it, right? And then you've got sort of the more, I watch a particular league because it has a particular team with a particular player in it, and I will watch his games only. And you kind of see that spike come in and around that event. Um, but generally it doesn't give you that longevity. Interestingly, we see quite a lot, you know, we talk about churn profiles in subscription businesses, but our churn profile for our entertainment-only service is substantially lower than our sports, right? And so it gives you an indication that says, and I, I can see you, you acquire on sport and you retain on entertainment. That is absolutely true. I do think there's a slightly more interesting dynamic in how that works because you, you kind of get into viewing in a household, right? And so it, it comes into who am I speaking to in the household at that time, mm. right? And so... Kids' entertainment plays a huge part of that. Mums um, are a key decision maker inside of the family household units. Dads tend to be on the sports side if we were to get very generic. Um, so you kind of want to sort of, you know, this is where we have this challenge of who do we target when we go out to acquire a customer? Do I want to go after the sports fanatic and see if I can get them to sign up? Or if I'm going for the long term, am I better off trying to get into the household and showing that this is a complete proposition, right? And, you know, therefore, we want, we want to tell everyone and we've got fantastic kids value programming on side of the platform and we've got categories that address that. We've got something for everyone in the family in terms of core entertainment. And obviously, you know, for all the sports fans, there is no better place to be than, than with us. The quintessential one-stop shop, I guess you would call that. Um... <laughs> I was, I was going to. I was. It's funny that story. I, it always, it always is a great segue. But do you know where that expression came from? No idea. The one-stop shop. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great you know, segue. But effectively, it was about mechanics in America. And at one point in time, the uh, the me- you know the the process for getting your car fixed was that every one of these shops was in fact specialised in a specific task. So you might have an oil change at one spot, tyre change at another. You know, someone that would uh, fix whatever it was, the fluids and the radio was somewhere else. And eventually someone worked out, if I put them all into one spot, it becomes the one-stop shop full and so on. And the marketing phrase was born, right? But it's uh, it's taken on a life and there you go. Who would have thought the, mecha- the mechanic industry would have been impacting, uh, <laughs> you know, impacting the subs industry? Uh, interesting. Um, yeah. Digging into, you talked about the different sort of like demographics that might make a decision or be consuming content on the Todd platform. I'm just wondering how that translates also looking, say, market to market. Do you guys see anything really discernibly different that stands out in the different markets that you do serve in terms of consumption or is it fairly consistent um, uh, you know, uh, how it's consumed, uh, your platform's consumed? 
so look, I think with with Todd's engagement, it's it's still early days to start pulling that apart. Mm-hmm. I think as a, having been in the industry for 12 years in the region, I will say that there are substantial differences across the MENA region. Um, and it's it's related to sort of two things or three things really. One is the device end, right? So there is a strong correlation between the size of the screen that you're on and the time that you spend on it, right? So, you know, the TV tends to dominate in terms of overall consumption. So we, when you get into large screen viewing and we talk about the race to own the coffee table, right? So the person that has their remote in front of the TV there that you get onto is going to win that share of viewing from, from the audience in that household. But the nuances get interesting when you start looking at, say, security guards or you know, retail or some of the blue collar workforce where they don't have access to home and they spend a lot of time on mobiles. And at that point in time, you know, we see massive viewing trends in Saudi as an industry, as in a market, it's probably 2x over most of the other GCC territories. Whereas in the other territories, it's it's sort of more standardized, right? So then North Africa, I'd love to tell you a little bit more, but I think it's too soon to, to say whether or not we're going to see something pick up. It is more linear in terms of how they or how they are engaged in the sport. So we don't see them watching as many of the leagues. We see them quite focused into specific ones around specific teams. And I think that's, you know, Salah has got a lot to do with the way the appetite for football works in Egypt in particular. But um, there are no surprises there. Yeah, the, I'm curious now we're talking about different markets. And I would imagine also equally, you know, serving content across those different markets must create some challenges. You know, you're talking about a very eclectic mix of countries and with that, no doubt, infrastructure, telco infrastructure would play a a key role in what you can and can't perhaps do in some of those markets. Has there been any challenges along the way in in doing what you've been doing to get content uh, and to get live in those markets? Yeah, I think... Content delivery is one challenge, um, definitely, and the quality of the domestic networks is a massive influence on, on the, how that works. I mean, 4G is propagated quite well across the region now, and, and therefore we're able to deliver a pretty good feed onto pretty much any device. You know, the technology does allow for adaptive bitrate streaming, so we will render down based on the speed of the network that you're on. And that, that sort of leveled the playing field quite a lot. Obviously, continuity is more important than quality when it comes to live experience. So it doesn't matter if it renders down a little bit, gets a bit fuzzy, as long as the game's still running, right? And then you get back up based on the network. There's not a lot that we can do to influence that. We obviously have our CD content delivery networks establishing, pushing the infrastructure across into the regional um, players. But like I said to you at the start, the more challenging part for us is the fact that we're, the source is typically in Europe mm-hmm. and you're bouncing through satellite a couple of times to get it then into your mobile distribution networks. Uh, And as a consequence of each of those hops, you know, you introduce a problem around latency, right? And so it slows down the time. Well, let me rephrase that slightly. It provides a little bit more of a lag between the event and when it's delivered to the device, right? And so this is when things like WhatsApp are not our friend, right? Because at that point, real-time communication in the social networks uh, means that you might find out what's happening 10, 15, or even 30 seconds before it happens when you're watching it, right? Yeah. So th- that is definitely true, but that's not specific to a market. I think that's a generic issue in the industry when you move on to a digital platform. Yeah. Uh, another challenge I would talk about, and to your point, it, it's not unique just to your marketplace, but it's certainly something with BN and its history as well, including BLQ. You know, piracy has been something that's come up particularly in this market, you know, for you at Todd and then that relationship with BN, you know, is there a particular stance you guys have on piracy or uh, is the challenge particularly different for you in that market or how you're combating that? 
look, that's a people invest billions in trying to work out how to prevent this from from occurring. And there's there's I think there's probably two or three different things to think about with piracy. One is why does it happen, right? And so if you go to the root cause, you'd say um, affordability for or access, right? And so you know in, historically, I'd say if you wanted to completely destroy piracy, then you'd, you'd make your product effectively free. Now, obviously, we can't do that because someone needs to get paid when they buy the rights and we need to collect cash somewhere. But, um, you know, where where I see the opportunities is uh, in the partnerships that you have with the major distribution players like operators across the region. So in the MENA region in particular, um, you know, we're not... The Middle East is not well established when it comes to e-commerce. So credit card engagement and... and uh, adoption rates are very, very low. In fact, banking in some countries is actually quite very, you know, low as well, right? So you end up having a, a major challenge around collecting cash. Now, the reason I bring that up is you end up partnering with operators, and operators are the networks that manage and protect your IP, right? So if you want to kind of get to uh, the root cause of to try and avoid and block uh, piracy, then partnering with an operator who is in a position to manage that at a network level you know, really facilitates a way of protecting that. And you can work quite closely with those guys to to support you. If they've invested in your product, then they've got a vested interest mm. in trying to make sure that they don't have a com competition through piracy. Um, the other part of the story is always the tech, right? How do you prevent someone from lifting the stream or identify that the stream's been lifted and then stop it? Now, people are spending lots and lots of money on that. That's not necessarily the the forefront of what Todd is about. We are the distribution division of, you know, the BN Media Group for Digital. Uh, but I can I can say that, you know, BN Media Group has been a victim of and invested a lot of money in piracy protection in the last couple of years. But I think at the end, the risk is around the sport, right? Because if piracy does propagate to an extent that it substantially dominates the industry, there's no cash left in the broadcasters. And, you know, th that pays the, the rights, the rights pay for the players, the players in a generic value for the game. So I, I know that um, our GCO has had a, a long and vocal path to try and explain that, but genuinely there is a risk. I mean, the same story is true in entertainment where someone puts a video camera up and records the latest, I don't know what it may be, but it could be, you know, the Matrix 5 if that ever turns up. And, you know, five minutes later, there's, you know, there's no value in that product anymore. It's, it's been shot. It's been copied. It's out there. Um, sports are a little better insofar as it's consistent. So each week there's another asset and therefore a new stream. Uh, but it's a, it's a killer problem for the industry. And I guess, you know, my mind says if you make it affordable and you, you provide the reach, uh, you work with the right partners, then you remove the reason for doing it, right? Um, Pirate streams are not typically the friendliest. There's a lot of stuff that happens to the end user that you're putting yourself at risk to. Uh, although professional piracy is very, very hard to deal with, as we've seen. Yeah, so just just on the, the the piracy side of things and be out Q, is that sort of out of the picture now, or is that just? I mean, is it on hold at the moment until you know it pops up again? And for now, is it out? Is it done for? Uh, look, at the moment, as far as I'm aware, uh, that that has completely stopped. Um, the situation there is, is ended. Uh, it ended quite over a year ago, as far as I'm aware. Um, but certainly, it's not that's not something that's up and running at the moment. Will it turn up again? Uh, look, at that. I think that's anyone's guess, but I, I don't think so. I think that the um, the world's moved on a little bit since then, uh, and certainly the circumstances around that has, have improved a lot. I've I've got a quick question because it came up in our Sports Pro APAC event in Singapore the other week. You talked about in your 
um, describing some of the issues with piracy was even just payments and how familiar people are with credit cards and online banking. And this is something that Sandra Gupta, who's uh, the, the CEO of Sport4, Disney hot star out in India was talking about there's many people in, in their marketplace that, that don't even have a credit card to pay. Um, so usually when we talk about monetization, you know, in the USA or in Europe, it's usually, is it SVOD? Is it AVOD? This side or the other, but it seems there's other parts of the world. It's just how do we actually get them to literally pay for it? So, you know, maybe it, how, how's your experience or how are you overcoming that particular challenge? Cause as you said, you're a straight up subscription model, but if, if there's a, a lack of adoption on credit cards or online banking, you know, how are you guys overcoming that? Look, that's a common problem in this industry, right? So e-commerce maturity in the MENA region is quite low. So, you know, we talk about payment enablers and, you know, the, the, clearly the easy ones are your credit card, you know, options that, you know, facilitate. But even then, some of the banks block credit card online transactions to protect consumers. So there's a relative level of trust that still has to happen in the financial services industry to support that. Um, but then notwithstanding that fact, you then got a much larger problem, which is, the, you know, the, the proportion of the population that actually has a bank account, right? So, you know, fundamentally, this is when your indirect distribution methods become critical. Uh, India is the same in many ways as the rest of this region. Uh, and that is that you find partnerships to do so. So obviously vouchers are a clear path to doing that. And you'll see that happen a lot. So we've structured a number of deals with voucher distributors to ensure that you can walk into a retail store and, you know, exchange for cash, uh, a voucher that will allow you to subscribe to the platform. Uh, and it's effectively a cash collection model. That's a very expensive way to do business, but you know, that's a, that gives you a scale. At least it gives you a massive addressable market. But the other really big one in this part of the world is around the mobile operators, right? And so every mobile operator, uh, apart from from being a technology company and, and providing your services as a utility, the rather major asset is cash collection, right? So a mobile phone with a prepaid market, which is largely 99% of the MENA region, notwithstanding some exceptions, um, is around a credit-based system where you exchange for an, a voucher from the operator and that gives you cash into a balance on your on your phone and so we partner with those players and that allows us to convert their credit into access to our service and those integrations uh, are quite complex but we're you know we're farming out many many of those there are in fact a number of large uh, professional integration businesses in this part of the world that allow you to connect to them and they immediately connect you then to 35 or 40 of the of the operators across the marketplaces and then you just you then need to work through those partners to try and subscribe but you build all those subscription methods into each of your points of sale right so if i can get you to receive an sms where it says hey if you want to subscribe to todd press yes and return that message and then when we send you a link you download the app and away we go right that's the that's how you get there it's a it's a much harder task than you know picking up the uh the mobile and saying I want this product and clicking with a mobile pay, sorry with a credit card payment somewhere else or even Apple and Google Pay options uh, that you get generally across the rest of the Western world. So, so JP, we're sort of getting close to time, but I'm curious, you know what what is it really that keeps the quintessential keeps you up at night in this instance? Is it is it audience acquisition? Is it execution on delivery? Is it is it something else that keeps you? What takes up the majority of your both mental headspace as well as time in terms of trying to drive the business forward? So, look, I think, um, I mean, if I put on the Todd marketing hat for a moment and just say what's the biggest thing that I would like to be able to achieve in the next 
four weeks before we start kickoff. It's going to be around awareness, right? The, our research is, is pretty clear. The interest in the FIFA World Cup is phenomenal. It is the largest sporting event on the planet. The number of people that will watch it's well in excess of five billion across the you know, across the world. One in nine people, I think, watched at least a minute of the last final. So you know the scale is there. So the relative appetite for the product that we have is is it's really well known. We just need people to hear about us. So you know we're working very very hard on brand awareness campaigns across the marketplaces. Uh, but with those campaigns comes this challenge that Chris just asked me about, and that is how do they pay? How do I collect cash? How do I make it available to this user so that they can access the content? We can get it to them. The problem I've got is that they can't pay us to do it, right? So it's those two, it's those two challenges that we're actually trying to balance out. So. So the World Cup is coming and one of the things we see across a bunch of other markets still today is the challenge of streaming live sports at scale. Um, do you guys have any concerns around about that when the World Cup comes around? Obviously, in the MENA region, it's going to be a pretty hot ticket from what you've just described and equally because it's in the region. Uh, do, you, do you have any concerns about sort of managing that or are you guys are sort of ready for that scaling uh, pro- uh, challenge? Yeah, look, we've partnered with a with a you know global leader, right? And so obviously we're we're dimensioned as as we've forecasted, but I think that's that's one area where our CTO has given us a lot of confidence that um, we're in a pretty good position to manage uh, that demand and that scale. Uh, it'll be unprecedented in terms of concurrency. We talk a little if you talk a little bit in the industry, you know, Game of Thrones is sequel has now been emerged and there's a lot of conversations about how many users are watching it on the night that it's released right so you talk about maybe 40 million yeah try kickoff for the world cup right that's going to be a i'm I'm looking to see what records we can break when that happens and i'm just uh, i'm confident that we're in a really good position but that's that's i'm sure what's the uh, top of mind comment for my cto at this stage is sitting there thinking about that one um and one of the questions that will come up obviously you guys are focused around the world cup but other markets, you know, BN is in other markets uh, to, what you, to, to what Todd uh, are active uh, at the moment. Where do you have a, an aspiration to take it global, to, to expand across or at least step-by-step step it? Yeah, I think, look, let's, it's, it is a bit one step at a time. The, the concept for Todd as the platform is to establish it and, and, you know, we are the incubation space in the MENA region. Um, there will be a consolidation of, as, as I understand it, the strategy would be to consolidate the capabilities under a single architecture. Um, you know, the two models that you might look at is, say, Disney Plus or Netflix, you know, which way do you want to go? I think the challenge of having two platforms to, to address different markets is that when you transfer between those markets, you run into trouble around what I call the CRM, the user account management. That is a problem by having disparate technologies. Uh, I think our approach will be that it's one size fits all. So we'll build the best in class product. You know, we are a premium content provider with the best sports properties that you can buy. So we're always going to be at that premium end of the service and therefore we invest heavily in our technology and that means it don't try and do a lower cost operating model for low cost markets, right? So, which is a little bit different to say what Disney is, as I understand it did with say India in particular. so yeah, absolutely. Build that single infrastructure foundation, then and then propagate at a, at a global level would make a lot of sense. And you can do that in this day and age. It's not hard because obviously everything is cloud based, and so therefore your infrastructure becomes very very scalable quite quickly. 
Well, unfortunately, JP, we're kind of at the time now. We got to wrap things up, but I really do appreciate you taking us through, Todd. I certainly know now I'm in a bit of a, a better headspace to wrap myself around this the next time someone asks me about it. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of things. There's obviously a very big test coming up uh, for the platform uh, here in, you know, what, six, seven weeks time or a little bit longer. Yeah. Now. I think it's close to eight, 10 weeks time with the World Cup. But certainly I know myself and Nick are going to want to follow back up with you and hear how that all went. No, I'd love to share the uh, the victory stories and uh, do a few laps at the same time, perhaps. Good stuff, JP. Thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what's next. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.